the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing Clark Hilton Engineering today's program. Today we'll talk, uh, we'll hear from Paul Pastor uh, regarding how the Bible Project is using video to get people back into the scriptures. We'll also talk with Charles Stone on holy noticing. We'll talk with Mark Claypool. He's the founder and CEO of Chance Light Behavioral Health. This is Autism Awareness Month. We'll talk with him about that. Uh, And I should mention that uh, we just learned uh, moments before the program began that House Bill 2217, that would increase the number of ways that lethal drugs can be administered to physician-assisted suicide um, patients, uh, including intravenously via injection or through a gas mask, uh, has passed in the House. We're going to talk with Liberty um, uh, Pike about that at some point in the next segment. So heads up on that. What happens next will be uh, the purpose of our conversation. Taking a look at some of the news of the last couple of days. And by the way, I hope you had a great holiday celebration as we reflected on Good Friday, the death and crucifixion of Jesus, and then celebrated his resurrection on Sunday. Well, for some, it was not the the case. Uh, New details in the Sri Lanka bombings have emerged as the death toll has risen. Um, The series of bombings that uh, ripped through churches and hotels there on Easter Sunday left at least 290 people dead, more than 500 people wounded, were carried out by seven suicide bombers and investigators are examining reports that intelligence agencies had actually been warned of possible attacks, but did not pass that along. No one has taken responsibility for the bombings. The defense minister there described the blasts as a terrorist attack by religious extremists and police said 13 suspects have been arrested. The identities of some victims of the Easter massacre at Sri Lanka emerged on Sunday evening, including a British mother and her 11-year-old son, along with a TV chef, uh, her daughter. Uh, most of those uh, killed were Sri Lankans. However, the U.S. has several Americans who are among the dead, while Britain and China said they, too, lost citizens. Again, this blast series of blasts taking place in churches and hotels across the country, 290 dead. And a BuzzFeed News uh, world editor is facing backlash on Sunday for taking a swipe at President Trump while tweeting an article about the attacks in Sri Lanka on Easter. Suspect uh, we'd uh, be hearing a lot more outrage from Trump and company if the Christians killed in Sri Lanka were white. Miriam Elder tweeted with a link to um, BuzzFeed News. And of course, at the time, she had no idea what the complexion of Americans who lost their lives there might have been. Uh, Elder's tweet had received some 6,000 replies, 179 retweets, 423 likes. Uh, As early as Monday morning, many of the commentators asked why the BuzzFeed News world editor would politicize the attacks. When contacted uh, by others, BuzzFeed News responded, no comment from us. Trump on Easter morning offered condolences to the people of Sri Lanka, tweeting, we stand ready to help. And leading Democrats appear divided whether to pursue impeachment against the president. In fact, they just uh, broke up a meeting moments ago. 
After last week's release of special counsel Robert Mueller's redacted report, now it certainly said that there was no uh, collusion between the Trump campaign. Mueller did not weigh in on whether or not uh, there was an effort to um, block the investigation. And there were certainly lots that's unflattering to the uh, to the president. But wringing the hands of the Democrats and determining um, what course to take, I'd say about 90 percent are saying no on impeachment for political reasons, not necessarily because they wouldn't like to see him impeached. But there's a small group that says, yes, we want to see impeachment. Uh, but the question is weighing out the limited amount of time that's left between now and the election and whether or not you could get an investigation up and going in time to make it an uh, impact. And Nancy Pelosi has already said you can uh, do the same thing in terms of uh, making sure that the American people understand what the Democrats believe the president is guilty of without moving toward impeachment. So the meeting earlier today, which um, uh, took place and uh, ended just a few moments ago, was to try to clarify the, the direction that the House was supposed to, is going to make rather moving forward. Anyway, whether to pursue impeachment against the president after last week's release of special counsel Robert Mueller's redacted report, that found no evidence of collusion and did not draw a conclusion on whether the president obstructed justice. Representative Elijah Cummings, the uh, Maryland chair of the House Oversight Committee, signaled that Democrats are not yet concerned about the possibility of Russia fatigue and warned ominously on Sunday that the Russians aren't getting tired and are attacking our electoral system every single day. Well, the question isn't whether or not people are uh, tired of talking about Russia and how it attempted to influence the election, but whether or not President Trump should be the focus of any investigation moving forward. Elijah Cummings previewed new lines of investigation against the president and said it might be necessary to hear testimony from former White House counsel Don McGahn and Mueller himself. In addition, Cummings uh, neither uh, fully endorsed nor rejected the idea of pursuing impeachment against the president. 2020 presidential candidate Senator Elizabeth Warren and freshman Democratic Representative Rashida Tlaib, um, Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have all called for impeachment, among others. But other Democrats, including Maryland House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and 2020 presidential candidates Representatives Ted Ryan and Tulsi Gabbard, have also said impeachment proceedings would be premature or misguided. Representative Adam Schiff, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, weighed in on the prospects of impeaching the president. Um, this weekend as well. Meanwhile, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler argued on Sunday that despite Mueller's uh, deciding not to charge the president with obstruction of justice, he believes there is still plenty of evidence of obstruction and wondered why Donald Trump Jr. isn't facing charges for the infamous Trump Tower meeting with Russian operatives in June of 2016. Well, the Trump administration is set to inform five nations that they will no longer be exempt from U.S. sanctions if they continue to import oil from Iran. Reports uh, on Sunday indicated Secretary of State Mike Pompeo plans to announce the policy, uh, which would no longer renew sanction waivers for allies Japan, South Korea and Turkey. The other countries no longer exempt for China, uh, rather um, exempt are China and India. The waivers are for sanctions will expire on the 2nd of May. The Washington Post first reported on the move and three sources confirmed the report to Associated Press. The uh, administration is expecting that Saudi Arabia will pick up the slack rather gladly. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is surging in uh, uh, national profile, has inspired a trio of Republican opponents from her home district, along with a multimillionaire mystery donor, 
who could help close the gap in her uh, foe's long-shot race against her just three months after taking office. The Democratic Socialist Congresswoman's challengers include an Egyptian-American journalist who has already tossed her hat in the ring and an NYPD cop-turned-high school civics teacher and conservative talk radio host, both of whom are seriously exploring a run against her. And the fledgling challenger uh, could get help from wealthy New Yorker committed to... uh, uh, backing an uh, Ocasio-Cortez opponent, the New York Post, is reporting. We're going to take a break. We'll continue to wind through some of the headlines. We're also going to talk uh, in just a few minutes about what happened in the Oregon legislature earlier today in that uh, passage of the controversial House Bill 2217 passed the House. Earlier today, we'll talk with Liberty Pike, the Oregon Right to Life Communications Director, in just a bit. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part by Liberty Coin and Currency. We're winding through some of the headlines of the day. We're also going to talk with Liberty Pike about House Bill 2217 that passed in the Oregon legislature just moments ago. Well, the battle over the Trump administration's effort to add a question on citizenship to the 2020 census is hitting the Supreme Court. The justices are going to hear arguments tomorrow over the administration adding the question, a controversial move that's sparked legal battles throughout the U.S. court system. The Commerce Department that administers the census is expected to argue that it has the authority to collect data on citizenship and that the question is needed to help with the Justice Department's enforcement of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, We'll see how that goes. Again, arguments going to be heard tomorrow. And increasingly, voters are, well, plumbing the reality TV stars to express their anger and seek solutions to intractable problems. Donald Trump is the most obvious example, but look at the Ukraine. This nation of 44 million people just saw a comedian who plays a fictional Ukrainian president on TV win 73 percent of the vote and become the president-elect. Senator Elizabeth Warren became the first 2020 presidential candidate to call for the initiation of impeachment proceedings against the president on Friday, calling it the constitutional duty of Congress following the findings of Robert Mueller's report. Warren sent out a series of tweets on Friday afternoon saying the uh, uh, partially redacted Mueller report released Thursday had laid out the facts of Russian interference in the 2016 election and wrote Trump obstructed the investigation into that attack. There was no other resource for his action than impeachment, she said, or rather recourse. And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals discarded the Trump administration's attempt to block two of California's sanctuary laws and determined on Thursday that the laws which restrict local operation with federal law enforcement will remain in place. The Ninth Circuit uh, did block a portion of the third sanctuary city law that was passed in 2017, known as Assembly Bill 103. The court blocked part of the law. It requires state officials to examine federal immigration detention facilities in California. And the FBI on Saturday said it had arrested Larry Hopkins, the leader of an armed group that's stopping undocumented migrants after they cross the U.S.-Mexico border into New Mexico. Hopkins, 69, also known as Johnny Horton, was arrested in Sunland Park, New Mexico, on a federal complaint charging him with being a felon in possession of firearms and ammunition. The, the United uh, Constitutional Patriots describes itself as a patriot group helping the U.S. Border Patrol cope with record numbers of Central American families crossing the border to seek asylum, despite the fact 
that the uh, Border Patrol, U.S. Border Patrol, has asked them not to. And on this day in 2000, in a dramatic uh, pre-dawn raid, armed immigration agencies, Alien Gonzalez, the Cuban boy at the center of a custody dispute from his relative's home in Miami, Alien is reunited with his father at uh, Andrews Air Force Base near Washington. For those of you who lived through it, you remember how dramatic that was at the time. It was under the... uh, Clinton administration. And on this day in 1993, the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum is dedicated in Washington, D.C. to honor victims of Nazi extermination. And in 1970, the first Earth Day was held. In 1864, on this day, Congress authorized the use of the phrase, in God we trust, on U.S. coins. I would hope it would be engraved on our hearts, not just on the metal with which we do commerce. But that's the subject for a whole nother day. Well, sadly, I uh, read the news uh, just moments ago that uh, this morning the Oregon House of Representatives passed House Bill 2217 down party lines. As you might recall, it will increase the number of ways that lethal drugs can be administered in physician-assisted suicide, and that includes intravenously administered uh, with injections or through a gas mask. Well, here to talk with us about what happened and what happens next is Liberty Pike. She is the Oregon Right to Life Communications Director. Thank you so much for joining us, Liberty. Thank you for having me on. Tell us about the vote earlier today. Yeah, we're really disappointed. Our lobbyist has been working practically around the clock. You should see our group text thread between hmm. um, our lobbyist and our PAC director and our executive director and me just, think, you know, basically combing the weeds for any way we could possibly stop this bill. Originally, it was actually opposed by um, advocates of assisted suicide, but they put in basically a nonsense um, clause that didn't really change the effect of the bill and got them to a neutral position on the bill, but it's just been very bad from the beginning. And so we're really disappointed that um, despite so many calls and emails from advocates around the state, that um, the legislators in the Capitol today decided to just vote with whatever their party said was the plan and pass this bill out of the House and into the Senate. So it now goes to the Senate where it will go to committee and we'll see the same process um, with this uh, bill. Is that correct? Right. It goes to the Senate. We're not sure where it's going to land exactly. Yeah. But yes, it has to go through the Senate before it gets to the governor's desk. Do you have any indication that if it were to land on the governor's desk, uh, if she is inclined to sign it or do you have that uh, foresight? I don't know that she's spoken about this particular piece of legislation, but she she signed um, SB 494. Um, I can't remember if that was the number that it was originally passed out. I think it was passed as a different um, House bill the next year in legislation. But that was another really bad piece of legislation that she has signed. That was the one that would allow the withholding of food and water to um, people that would would, uh, voluntarily drink the food and water, but if offered, would take the food and water. So people with dementia often forget to feed themselves, but mm-hmm. will eat if offered. And that bill she signed into law. So we have every reason to expect that she's going to pass this bill, too, if it gets to her. Well, for people who are interested in following what happens in the Senate, um, is Oregon Right to Life going to continue to do what you have done so well and that is provide these kinds of updates? And how might our listeners avail themselves of that information? Absolutely. We are not going to stop working in the legislature till the this session adjourns. And until signy die. Come back again next year. Yes, till sign die. So if um, you would like to get involved, and we certainly do need more advocates always, um, I would encourage everyone to visit our website, uh, www.ortl.org. And if you're interested in this bill specifically, and then there's another twin bill yeah. that um, 
that's Senate Bill 579 that would remove waiting periods, you can go to ordoortl.org forward slash no euthanasia. And we actually have a tool right there that's really easy to contact your legislator legislators and tell your senators and your representatives to vote no on Senate Bill 579 if it is to start moving. Okay. Liberty, thank you so much. I appreciate your work and I appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Lois Anderson, who is the executive director, says this. House Bill 2217 places vulnerable Oregonians in even greater danger. There's already no safety net in the law ensuring lethal drugs are taken voluntarily. Today, the House voted to make it even easier for lethal drugs to be administered to vulnerable patients with no oversight. Uh, Where there was a loophole, there can now be a highway leading Oregonians straight to euthanasia. This is uh, was nothing short of a dereliction of duty and reckless disregard for human life. Well, prior to the vote, three respective, uh, I should say, representatives delivered three letters of opposition to every representative in the House, one signed by a coalition of organizations, one by 34 medical professionals, and one by Dr. Richard Dorflinger, an expert on bioethics. And Anderson continues in response to that effort, let the record show that they were educated when they made this vote. Uh, They knew the risks for their constituents and still voted in favor of this dangerous piece of legislation. Again, it has now gone over to the Senate, and we will try to keep you informed of its progress there as well. I mentioned earlier that a pair of, uh, uh, or actually a series of uh, bombings took place over the uh, over the weekend in Sri Lanka. A pair holding U.S. and British uh, nationalities uh, were among the eleven foreigners killed after a series of explosions struck three churches, three luxury hotels, in and in uh, uh, in and just outside of Sri Lanka's capital on Easter Sunday morning, leaving at least. 207, I believe that's now up to 290 dead, 450 others injured. Sri Lanka's uh, foreign ministry said other foreigners whose nationalities were verified included three Indians, one Portuguese national, two Turkish nationals, and three British nationals as well. The U.S. State Department confirmed in a statement that several U.S. citizens were among those killed in the explosions, though details were still emerging. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo went on the Uh, to condemn the Easter morning terror attack, saying attacks on innocent people gathering in a place of worship or enjoying a holiday meal are affronts to the universal values and freedoms that we hold dear and demonstrate yet again the brutal nature of radical terrorists whose sole aim is to threaten peace and security. Well, according to Open Doors USA, an average of 105 churches or Christian buildings are burned or attacked every month. 105. Uh, That's more than three per day, and almost all of those attacks get ignored by the mainstream media in the Western world, which isn't surprising. In addition, an average of 345 Christians are killed for faith-related reasons every single month. Of course, these numbers will soon be out of date because violence against Christians continues to escalate all over the globe, and the horrifying attacks that we just witnessed in Sri Lanka are the perfect example Um, Again, a series of eight bombs in Sri Lanka targeting Christian churches, hotels in three cities killed um, almost 300 people in that area. Jesus said himself, we would know tribulation, but don't fear, for he has overcome the world. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, many followers of Christ will come. Well, MSNBC came in for a criticism on Sunday afternoon after reporter Mike Vigera attempted to question special counsel Robert Mueller as he left Easter church service in Washington, D.C. on Sunday morning. Will you testify before Congress, sir? If he were uh, anybody but the president, would Mr. Trump be indicted, sir? 
He asked as Mueller struggled to get into his car, Sir, why didn't you make a recommendation to Congress one way or the other? Did the Attorney General accurately characterize your positions on conspiracy and obstruction, sir? Well, in response to his question, Mueller replied no comment before heading into uh, his car and driving away. Mueller has almost never been heard from in any form during the course of his uh, nearly two-year investigation into Russian collusion in the 2016 presidential election. But I understand he's already been scheduled to speak before Congress. Meanwhile, Representative Seth Moulton, a Massachusetts congressman known for prioritizing veterans issues and for an unsuccessful push to unseat House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, declared his bid for White House On Monday, in announcing his candidacy, he becomes the 19th Democrat in that race. In a campaign video, the 40-year-old touted his experience as a Marine Corps veteran who served three tours in Iraq as an infantry officer before becoming an aide to General David Petraeus, then the top U.S. commander in Iraq during the troop surge in 2007. Moulton has since been critical of the Iraq War and of U.S. involvement in the Middle East under President Donald Trump. A member of the House Armed Services Committee, Moulton will run his campaign through VFW halls with a focus on national security issues, the 6th District Democrat told The Atlantic. Again, number 19 has made it official. Others still waiting in the wings. Most notably, Vice President, Vice President, what's his name? Wow. I can't think of his name. I'm looking right at you, Clark. You're not going to throw me a lifeline. (laughs) No, not the current Vice President, the former Vice President, the Democrat. Yeah, I can't read your lips. I'm sorry. He's trying to help me. Biden. Thank you. Bison, bitten. What are we saying here? Vice President Biden. (laughs) But there are others, and we'll try to keep you up to date as to who they are. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, according to the most recent government survey, one in 25 children is now diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder. Early diagnosis and intervention impact these diagnoses have on the special education system. These are important discussions that are being held by parents and health care experts, educational professionals, And with the president's proposed $10 billion cut to the U.S. Department of Education, these conversations are more important than ever. Well, here to join us and talk about these issues during Autism Awareness Month is Mark Claypool. He, uh, he knows where we need to start. He's the founder and CEO of Chance Light Behavioral Health Therapy and Education, one of the nation's largest private providers of services for special and at-risk education, behavioral health and therapy. He is uh, acutely tuned in to the effect that autism has on the education system as a whole. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about that. He is uh, the co-author of a forthcoming book in 2020 titled The Left-Hand Side that deals with autism, but a variety of other issues in public education as well. Mr. Claypool, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, this is Autism Awareness Month, and I think the best place to start might be to define autism as best as possible because we're talking about a spectrum disorder rather than a, a singular particular thing. Help us understand what we are uh, to be made aware of during this month. Well, I think what we should all be aware of is is the complexity and the nuance that autism uh, has, that it's uh, we would say if you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. There are a lot of stereotypes about uh, how these children behave or, or what their potentials are, and we need to disregard those uh, those stereotypes and look at each child independently and, and do the best we can for them to, to get them services that will maximize their potential, whatever that potential is. Um, these are very difficult uh, situations. It's, it's a very taxing 
uh, disorder to deal with, particularly for parents and families. It's a great stressor. Uh, but there are so many of these children now that we really have to, uh, we just have to embrace this. We have no choice. We have to figure out uh, how to, to incorporate not just children, but people with autism uh, into mainstream society. Now, is there a thread that ties them together under this spectrum disorder that would distinguish them from other behavioral challenges? Well, certainly there are some things that, that are uh, sort of common to autism, and I think the root of it uh, is is in the name autism. These are uh, young people who, uh, left to their own devices, will continue to isolate themselves and seek autonomy. They do not really seek interaction with the outside world. It's not that they don't desire it, but they're just not equipped for it. That's another common mis, uh, kind of misunderstanding about these kids is that they don't like people or they don't want to be interacted with, and that's really not the case. They just are not equipped uh, as sort of uh, typically developed children would be to, to embrace that. So you can see one common thread really that parents notice and, and probably the point at which they first seek help is when they realize that their very young child is not making any progress with regard to verbal communication uh, or has a difficulty holding eye contact. Those are very common indicators when children are very young. Let's talk about the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or IDEA Act of 2004. Was this effective in addressing the challenges of parents and educators in dealing with young people with a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder? Well, I think it made a lot of progress. Um, you know, uh, the, the law itself, the, the root of the core law is very old. It dates back to uh, the presidency of Gerald Ford. And uh, it was a monumental step forward in the treatment of children with special needs. But it was written at a time when the most pressing issues or the most, most often presented problems would have been children who were, um, who were blind or deaf or children who at that point would have been labeled mentally retarded. So we did not have a lot of of a variety of diagnoses. Autism was really uh, not well known, not well explored at that point. And so what what came out of that law was really um, an adaptation of civil rights law, which means that it's really a compliance law and it is uh, it is designed to seek kind of commonality of services uh, in a way and is really not has not led to the kind of specific interventions and the real blending of resources that need to happen to be successful with these kids. Now, we're hearing about um, the unbundling of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Um, does that help in dealing with specific kinds of behavioral challenges that includes autism? Very much so, I think. Uh, and the idea behind this unbundling gets back to, again, the, the, the legal framework of special education. So right now um, and, and since the, uh, the early 1970s, the uh, the point of special ed has been to to make sure that children are allowed to come to school, that they have free and appropriate uh, schooling in there. They are not excluded from school based on a disability. But that's not comprehensive enough for something as complex and, frankly, something that is as treatable as autism. Uh, but you have to decide uh, who is treating the child, who, who is responsible for that. Uh, public education w is so burdened with so many roles and so many responsibilities uh, and, frankly, a, a pretty fixed amount of money to deal with those issues 
that it's pretty unfair to expect them to be the treatment provider to uh, to all these children. Uh, there are other resources that need to be brought together, but the the point of unbundling to me is that we have to sort of take some things apart in order to free up the opportunity to put a more comprehensive package together for these children so that so that there are not these silos between what is considered education and what is considered health care services, mm-hmm. uh, because these two systems just do not talk to each other at all, mm-hmm. um, and they're often seeing the same child. Uh, and so the, it's really a shame that these resources are not coordinated in a way that's going to be uh, to lead to the best outcome for these kids. Now, autism is only the fourth most prevalent disability in special education, but it dominates the news why is that? Is it because of the the nature of the challenge, the the fact that it's, it isn't identified as a single thing that can be addressed in every child in one particular way? Why do you think uh, so much attention is given and should be? Well, I think it's great that it should be because there are so many children that, that have these disabilities, uh, uh, the disability that, that, that we would label as, as being on the autism spectrum. And the other thing is that unlike other disabilities, this disability can be significantly impacted by good treatment. Uh, we can make a, a long-term impact on a child if we get to them early enough, teach them to speak, teach them social skills, um, and, and get, get them on the right track. Uh, whereas, you know, children with other sorts of developmental issues, it, it's just a different track altogether. So I think it is, this does warrant the attention, but why it gets so much attention, I think some of that is is tied back to the great level of advocacy uh, that groups like Autism Speaks over the years have have really uh, pushed, and uh, and they've gotten a lot of media attention. It's a it's an interesting um, disorder, you know. It, it, it's peculiar. It, it, it grabs people's interest to think about these children and the different things that they do. And of course, there's been popular media like uh, Rain Man and. Uh, mm-hmm. movies like that, which have sort of glamorized or stereotyped uh, in some regards uh, these people as well. But that I think all that has come together to create this this awareness, which, uh, you know, I hope we don't waste. I hope we really, for whatever, the, whatever reason people are aware, uh, it's a blessing to have that awareness yeah. so that we can leverage that. Now, we're just about out of time, but let me ask you, a parent who's just been uh, received a diagnosis of autism for their child, what should they do first? Well, what they should do first is make sure they have all of this documented, that the assessments they've received from uh, a physician um, are complete, and then they need to go um, and visit their local public school system and make their school system aware. Even if their child is not yet of school age, technically, legally, the school system in their community is responsible for helping them and providing services. So they need to seek that out. They also need to be uh, aware of other benefits that would accrue to them um, through their health insurance, whether it's Medicaid or, or private insurance uh, if, uh, through their employer or, or TRICARE if they're in the military, that, that allow for um, uh, treatment to be provided uh, by, particularly by applied uh, people astute in applied behavioral analysis, which is really the gold standard of, of, uh, of treatment for these children. Well, I appreciate so much the work that you have been and are doing uh, and to draw our attention to Autism Awareness Month. And we'll certainly uh, wait with interest for your forthcoming book that's out in 2020. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. Again, Mark Claypool is the uh, founder and, and CEO rather of Chance Light Behavioral Health 
Therapy and Education, one of the nation's largest private providers of uh, this kind of help. By the way, portions of our program today are brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Hey, did you catch it? It started today. Did you miss it? Well, I'm talking, of course, about Better Together. It's the new TBN program that premiered today. They discuss family and friends and faith. No topic is off limits. And you can find out what happens when real friends, this isn't a manufactured friendship we're talking about, but real friends get together for real conversation, Better Together. It's TBN's newest original series with Lori Crouch, and they're going to address the many issues that concern women with a balance of spiritual and practical commentary with interviews and fun. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to ponder the conversation. Lori's going to be joined by some of her close friends like Christine Kane, Cece Winans, Victoria Olstein, um, Lisa Harper, and many, many others. Better Together is created by women for women engaging in real conversation. So let me encourage you to check it out. Uh, premiered today at 10.30 a.m. I'm not sure if that's going to be repeated in the Portland market, but you can check it out tomorrow, 10.30 a.m. right here in our community. That's TBN's latest program, Better Together. Check it out. Well, speaking of women, I want to remind you that there is a great opportunity right here in our community to come together as sisters in Christ and those who are seeking or are curious or just need a good laugh. This is an event for women by women. Uh, We'd like to invite you to join us for a ladies' night out. I prefer girls' night out. It's going to be full of laughs, dessert, and fellowship. I mean, how could it be any better than that? We're talking about the ladies of 93.9 KPDQ and 104.1 The Fish, welcoming comedian Amy Barnes to Tiger Christian Church. That's coming up Friday, May the 3rd, 7 o'clock p.m. I want to encourage you to invite your girlfriends for a night of laughter, followed by a fellowship hour, photos, delicious beverages, dessert, snacks, all from Lugano's Cafe. Tickets are only $20, and groups of five or more can enjoy a $5 uh, per ticket discount. It's a great event for women's ministry groups. Seats are limited for um, this intimate show, so reserve your tickets now. It's presented by Best Day Ever. It's a brand-new podcast for women from the ladies of uh, KPDQ and The Fish, streaming on thefishportland.com and kpdq.com. Now, James Blend, who does a lot of things here, he wears a number of hats here at KPDQ, and for that matter, with our sister stations as well. Uh, You helped us put this together. I'm looking forward to a fun evening. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly really enjoyed getting to know Amy's comedy, even though I'm not necessarily her target demographic by any means. But uh, it, it's going to be a fun night. Uh, I'm, it's one of those that I'll be jealous to not uh, not be able to see. But uh, certainly, I think it is going to be a night that's funny, edifying, and uh, just uh, a great night out. We had a chance to talk to Amy about a week or so ago. She is an engineer, an aerospace engineer turned comedian. Uh, she started her stand-up in Seattle. She appears in comedy clubs around town there. She worked days as an engineer in aerospace and had to make a decision. You might recall that conversation in which she talked about really wrestling with what direction to take. I mean, if you're an 
an aerospace engineer. You've had a lot of <laughs> education. I, I asked her at the time what her parents had to say about that. You know, I've studied to be an aerospace engineer. Most likely they underwrote her, or underwrote her education, and I'm going to become a comedian. Well, fortunately, she's been very successful at it as a wife and mom. She has uh, great things to say. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, for those who want just a little bit of a sample, I think we've got a bit of a clip here. Go for it. I got a copy of this cookbook that Jessica Seinfeld wrote um, where you like she mashes up healthy food and tries to hide it in more appealing foods so her kids will eat it. But I don't want to be the one to tell this lady. But if you can sneak a kale smoothie past your kid, that kid is slow. I don't really feel like the vitamin A deficiency is his biggest problem today. (laughs) Again, we're going to spend an evening (laughs) with Amy Barnes and her unique humor that appeals to, well, us women. I know there are men listening as well, but I'm talking to the ladies right now, talking to the girls. Anyway, we'd love to have you join us. Again, it's going to be a... Coming up on Saturday, May the 3rd, 7 o'clock p.m., and we're going to be at Tigard Christian Church. You can check that out uh, online with all the details. Is it on our website? Because I, I couldn't find it, James. Yeah, it should be on our website. Absolutely. Okay. So go to kpdq.com and uh, get all the important details. And again, if you have a group of five or more, you can enjoy $5 off each of your tickets. Uh, normally, those tickets are $20. So we're talking a couple weeks from now, but we would love for you to uh, to join. It's less than a couple weeks. Uh, we'd love for it's you to week. join us. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you find Amy? I know we were scouring all over looking for a female comedian that we could uh, have join us for an evening, kind of a follow-up from our Thrive event to just invite uh, women to come out together and have a good time. You know, it's one of those things that uh, having uh, good relationships with good people uh, benefits uh, occasionally. Actually, it always benefits. But uh, uh, I'm good friends with uh, my counterpart in uh, at Salem, our stations that we own in Sacramento. And they did a women's event last year with her, and it went really well, and they recommended her to us. Well, excellent. Again, you're invited. We'd love to have you come. Go to kpdq.com for all the important details to register and plan to join us. Hey, taking a quick look at what's going on the remainder of this week, Kathy Branzell will be my guest on Monday. Well, actually, we're, we moved her to um, this is Monday. <laughs> she, can't be my, she can't be my guest today. This is Monday. Anyway, she's going to be our guest on Thursday. She had originally planned to join us. Um, today, but we've switched things around. So I'm looking forward to Kathy Branzell, an invitation to prayer, peace, love, wisdom, happiness, and purpose. This is sort of a uh, an invitation to consider uh, the elements of prayer as we anticipate National Day of Prayer. And I don't know about you, but I recognize that our nation desperately needs prayer. Now, it doesn't really matter who's in the White House or who's in Congress or who's getting more face time uh, by the media. Our nation needs prayer as we drift away in a direction that is contrary to sound wisdom, Uh, we need to be men and women of prayer. So we're going to talk with her on Thursday. Kind of got this out of order, but you get the idea. On Tuesday, we'll talk with Jeremy Treat. Seek first how the kingdom of God changes everything. And of course, that's a reference to the scripture. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things, the things that we need, the things that we worry about, 
Uh, these things will be added to us according to God's wisdom and his generosity and his grace and what's in our best interest. So we'll talk with Jeremy Treat on Tuesday about that. On Wednesday, my guest will be Chris Howard, um, rock star grandparent. If you want to be a grandparent with a legacy, if you want to influence and have a relationship with the grandchildren in your uh, in your life, you want to listen in on Wednesday, we'll talk with Chris Howard, rock star grandparent, how you can lead the way and light uh, light the road and launch a legacy. That will be on Wednesday and again on uh, Thursday, Kathy Branzell, an invitation to prayer. And then on Friday, we're going to lighten things up. We'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. So I hope you will join us all week long. We'd love to have you. I want to thank James Blend for producing and Clark Hilton for engineering today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.